Tim Stoddard, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Really happy to be here. Looking forward to this. So I've heard you say a couple times that one of the most important pieces of advice you've ever gotten was from Seth Godin, and it was to start a blog, don't tell anybody about it, and write in it every day. So why was that piece of advice so impactful for you? Man, you did your research. Um, <laughs> well, I just listened to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, once again, Nick, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. That that was a real moment that changed my life. Like sometimes I feel like uh, just when we create content and when we come on podcasts, you know, like we're looking for uh, like deep things to say, and then we want to like make an impact, right? And so. Uh, it I I make sure that I point that moment in my life home that I drive it home really hard because I was in a point in my life where I was looking for such direction and I was really lost and I was trying to find out who I was and what I believed in and the only thing that, that there was a couple of things that I was passionate about when I was a kid it was basically like skateboarding and writing um it was the well and sports right but skateboarding was more of something where i like had my identity in and and writing was the same and when i heard him say that it was the first time where it actually clicked and where i saw examples of hey like writing isn't just something that starving artists do it's not it's not just me carrying a notebook around with me everywhere and you know like pulling it out when i'm doing my laundry or something and just jotting down some of my ideas. Like it's an actual craft that I can hone and that I can harness and I can use to build a career for myself and, and, and not just a career, but like a purpose, right? Give me uh, somewhere to go, give me some direction. And so when I heard that, I had never known who Seth Godin was or, or I didn't really understand that there was this whole underworld of online content because uh, this was 10 years ago. I know it only seems like it's just 10 years ago, right? But the internet was a, a totally different place even just 10 years ago. And so when I heard that for the first time, it was, it was the first like realization in my moment, or excuse me, it was the first realization in my life where where I had a moment to actually sit back and it it became like a reality. I, I, it, it just, I saw this future that I could possibly have for myself. And, and I saw a glimpse of what it could mean for me to to start creating content online with writing and, and start sharing my ideas with people. And so that's that's where it all started. Like that was the the exact moment when my life went from some of the dark places that I had been to before and you know some of the the struggles that I dealt with to actually having like a vision for myself and a vision for my future. And uh it was it was that point on that I actually just made the decision to go for it. And I, I decided right then and there that not necessarily that I was going to be a writer. You know, I, I guess I identify as a writer. I don't necessarily see myself as if somebody asked me, what do I do? Like, I don't tell them that I'm a writer, but I do think that writing has been the infrastructure, sort of speak, of all the other creative work that I've done and, and all the other work that I've hopefully contributed to the world in a, in a positive way. Yeah, that's, that's great, man. I, I, I want to talk about some of that stuff more, kind of the, the, the point, uh, the, the, your sort of future after that inflection point. Um, but before I want, I want to kind of back up to, um, sort of what led up to that. 
Although I do want to just, even before that, I want to note that that Seth Godin vice, it, it, it's so much like, he just has a real knack. It's like the way he says stuff, you know, like yeah. he's got good ideas, like, but there's just, that, that's such a Seth Godin-y thing. Like the, the way he phrases that advice of start a blog, don't tell any about it, write in every day. Like it just like, it just gives you that feeling of kind of like, yeah, I could be like, I could be like a professional about this. Like I, I could really do this. Um, something about the way he writes just kind of inspires you. Um, in addition to the, all the good ideas he has. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan any, uh, as well. So let's go back. You mentioned something interesting, which is that um, your two big passions uh, growing up were skateboarding, which may be not super surprising for a, a, a young a young boy growing up, but then writing. So that was a passion for you as a kid. Like, t- Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, my mom was a writer, much in the same way that, uh, that I considered myself one. She when you're little, you know, like your parents are your heroes. And I always saw my dad as like this superhero. And I always saw my mom as this, uh, just this caring, empathetic, just, I don't know, like visionary kind of, she was, uh, like, a a way for me to see into some of the more beautiful things in, in the world and life. And, just her outlook. If you meet my mother, like she just has a great outlook on humanity. And if I'm ever in like a bad mood or if I'm ever like disliking the circumstances around me, my mom just understands how to, how to see the world from a proper perspective. So I, I say that because my mom loved poetry and she loved lyrics and songs. And she just had stacks and stacks and stacks of notebooks that she would share with me, right? Because so when I was younger, one of the only rules that I ever had implied on me was that I had to read every day. And that's like really it. I I think about it sometimes. I can't remember a single actual rule that my parents enforced on me, but we didn't really have a TV or nothing. And it was just read for a half hour every day. It was the only thing that I had to do every day. And so a lot of that, especially when I was a lot younger, was time flipping through my mom's notebooks that she would carry with her everywhere. And I just, I just thought it, they were the coolest things ever. Because when you're a kid, your imagination really goes, right? So I can still put myself back into that time where who really knows how old I was, probably like 10 or 12 or, or something, probably younger, honestly. And you're just reading through these cool like brown sun-baked notebooks that have been all around the world right because my mom was born in ohio and she lived in germany and and she's kind of a military kid so she traveled around a lot right and i just remember looking back at it like it was some kind of time machine or something and uh and so yeah like that that that's where it it came from it it just became like a habit and honestly looking back i think it was just because i was trying to be cool like i I just thought it was cool i thought it was a cool thing to do and even silly stuff like my mom would read me Harriet the Spy, you know, and so how Harriet the Spy would walk around with a notebook everywhere and like document everything that she saw. I just kind of, it just kind of became like a thing that I did. I, I, I would just write down stuff that I saw and ideas that I had. And I, I only started doing that because I just thought it was a cool thing that my mom showed me. And I think I, who knows? I never really thought about it too much. Like, you know, now that I'm sitting here with you trying to reflect on my past, I, I it feels to me like it was a thing I was doing just to try to like impress my mom. Right. But it turned into like a real, uh, a, a real strength and like a, a real beacon of, of, of guidance for me. Yeah. And sort of like the, uh, 
like the proverbial, like the seed that's sort of been planted, but hasn't quite sprouted yet. It's like, it was, it was sort of down there. Like your relationship with writing was, was kind of baked in at an early age. And maybe that, it almost seems like in a way that, that advice from Seth Godin kind of unleashed that like um, pent up potential that was down there, you know? Um, but maybe that advice wouldn't have had the same impact if you hadn't have had that, um, yeah, those experiences and that little kind of habit and, and inspiration from your mom beforehand. Yeah, I think you're right. So let's, you, you mentioned that um, that point in your life when you got that advice from, from Seth Godin too, um, that was also sort of at kind of coming at the tail end of, um, or maybe in um, a darker time in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like what, what was going on at that time when you got that advice? Yeah, well, it's it's a very long story, and I'm I'm more than happy to go through the entire story if you wish. But that was that was certainly the tail end of it. I I had always struggled with substance abuse, um, always basically. I mean, I, I basically just think of it as like impulse uh, problems. Even even before that, like I mentioned, skateboarding, I was always the kid that had no problem like jumping off of buildings and stuff, and just really no no like realization of potential consequences and it's it's still to this day something that i i I struggle with well i don't struggle with it so much anymore because i think i'm older and more mature but i i i don't think as much before i act as i i I probably should and so uh and so yeah like a lot of those behaviors really caught up with me um one of the cool things that the internet has done at least for me is it's made conversations about mental health and about substance abuse and about addiction and alcoholism and I don't know, even shit like eating disorders or, or all of these complex behavioral impulse control disorders that are in my view, kind of built into humanity somehow. Like we all, no matter what it is, every single person has like a weird obsession that they kind of anchor onto. Uh, And so, you know, for me, that was, undoubtedly a, a real real problem with drug abuse and um by that time where you talk about the tail end of it more or less what happened is i had to go to florida like I, i'm from philadelphia i was born and raised in philadelphia and i went to um I, I i got some help in philly and i remember coming back home to my mom's place where she was living in a neighborhood called Germantown in Philly. And it's, it's like a relatively inner city type spot. And I remember just walking up and down Germantown Avenue afterwards, thinking to myself, like, there is no way if I stay here, like there is no freaking way I'm going to make it. Um, Cause I, I had like health consequences going on and like liver enzymes and a couple overdoses and stuff. And so I, I knew that, um, that it was like a breaking point in my life. And I remember just walking up, and down Germantown Ave a couple of times and I passed this Wawa that I used to hang out a lot when I was a kid. And I just knew like I need to do something or else I'm probably going to die. And I had a cousin who, um, he lived in Florida and, uh, he, he's from Scotland. Most of my family is actually from Scotland. And so he, he more or less grew up in Florida, but he spent a lot of time in Philly because my grandparents are the ones that basically brought the family to America. Right. And so, uh, he was in Florida, my family was in Philly. And every time Brian, he's my cousin would, would like try to get sober. He would come hang out with us for a while and just sort of clean himself out, so to speak in Philly. And 
So at that point, he actually had a couple years. He had, I think, two and a half years of, of well, he, he calls it being clean. Um, he was clean for two and a half years. And I, at that moment, just knew that I had to make a decision. And so I, I called some people and I, I, you know, called my sister and kind of said, like, look, guys, I think I got to get out of here. And like, honestly, before I even knew it, even looking back at it, I, I hardly even remember how it all happened. I was just in Florida at the Fort Lauderdale airport and, you know, like lizards walking around or whatever. And it was all so alien to me. And so more or less, Brian like helped me out and I kind of crashed it on his couch for, I think a week or so. And, uh, and kind of just bunkered down. I found like a construction job down there and found a roommate and found a tiny little apartment. And it was just trying really, really hard to assemble my life back together step by step. And so when I had mentioned that I was looking for direction, right, I was just at this real crossroads because all I had ever known was was building houses. Like I, I did construction for all of my youth and I come from a real blue collar family, you know, like I sometimes when I talk about like entrepreneurial stuff these days and I hear people say like, yeah, like so much better than just doing construction your whole life. And I I always feel kind of weird about that because I know a lot of really like successful construction workers. I know a lot of really, really great people that work in blue collar, like my family included. And so I was always really comfortable with that just being my life. I was just, that's, that's what I knew, right? Like we all did construction. We're all electricians or carpenters or, or whatever. And so I, I just thought that that where I was going to be. And so when I went to Florida, uh, the construction industry in Florida is a lot different than it is up north. One, they don't work with wood. It's all like steel frames. And I hated it. It was so boring, you know, just like pop rivets and, and uh, you're not using saws. You're not swinging hammers. Like it was so boring and it's all stucco and it's all like clay um, shingles on roofs, and it's like 110 degrees. So it really sucks, right? And they, they don't 90% respect- humidity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they, they don't respect like, well, I shouldn't say respect, I'm sure they respect, but blue collar wages just aren't the same in Florida that they were up north. And so I'm doing this construction job for a while, just like sunburnt every day, making like eight bucks an hour. And I was grateful for it because I was getting sober trying to get my life back together. But I was just really getting to this point where I was feeling so down on myself, like, man, I'm a loser. And I just knew it. And so it was at that exact moment that I just heard that one little sentence at the end of that, um, at the end of that interview, where it's like, because some of the ideas that Seth Godin was talking about in that interview were so cool about like ideas that spread and, you know, like, what is it that actually makes companies or ideas or, or brands who would ever be successful. And so I was so engaged in it. I was like, who is this guy? And then that's all he said. And I was just at the, this perfect catalyst in my life where I knew what I was doing wasn't working. I knew what I was doing like wasn't going to make me happy, at least not in the way that it had before. And I, I needed something new. And so the timing of it was just perfect to put me in that one particular spot at that one particular moment. And uh, here I am now talking to you 10 years later. Yeah, that's rad, man. God, good for you. So the, I'm interested in this idea. There's a, a I read a blog post somewhere on, on one of your sites where you're, you're talking about kind of your, your story and you have this line where you say, I was hopeless at the time because I had nothing to believe in um, yeah. kind of as you were coming out of, of this darker time. But, but in, in a way, like that's, it's one thing to kind of come out of a, of a darker time, but then in some ways it can almost be harder when you come out of it, but then you don't know what the road forward is. Right. Um, 
And so can you unpack that a little bit? Like how, like that sentiment that I just uh, quoted you on, I was hopeless at the time, but I had nothing to believe in. And then how that sort of aligned with this, this Seth Godin moment for you and, and blogging in particular, like, can like connect those for me a little bit. Yeah. So I, I was just having a conversation last night. There's a friend of mine that I grew up with. Um, it was a painful conversation for me, but it was a painful conversation for him as well. In in Philadelphia and in the surrounding areas, it, it's definitely the city of brotherly love, but um, it's it's a city, you know? So this this kid's brother was killed and he was really having a hard time with uh, some just some addiction issues. And, and so he was talking to me and I was listening to him. And, and so we were talking about that hole, that void, right? That everybody, whether you do drugs or not, at one point in our lives, everybody has this weird hole inside of ourselves. And we try to think like, how do I fill this thing up? How do I find purpose? Like, what is this? And, uh, and so there's things that work to fill that hole and there's things that don't work. And the things that don't work here, like food or sugar, right? Like for me, I, I, I've, I quit smoking. I quit dipping, right? Like I, I, I don't do anything, but I still to this day have the hardest time with Milky Ways. <laughs> and it sounds <laughs> ridiculous, right? But like the point I'm trying to make is that it can be anything. Like millions and millions of people try to fill that hole with food. Millions of people fill it with alcohol or, or cigarettes or dip or um, I don't know enter your poison here. Right. And so I, I was talking to my friend about this concept of filling that, that void, filling that hole. And so there's, there's two ways to do it. One is to act in fear and fear is those things that feel comfortable in the moment. You know, it's that sugar rush that you get. It's like that instant high you get maybe when you get in a fist fight, it's that, um, that crazy rush that you get where you drive like 120 miles an hour. Um, even though like the consequences could be so dire, it's that high you get from like doing some blow or some heroin or, or whatever the case may be. And then there's the other side of it, which is basically trying to fill it with faith. And so this idea of faith is something that I've thought about a lot over the years. I, I, I've never been to church a day in my life. I honestly don't think I've ever been to a church ceremony, like probably been inside a church for funerals, I would imagine. Although I couldn't tell you like what kind of a church it would be. Uh, my grandmother, since since my grandparents came from Scotland, my my gramps was Protestant and my, or excuse me, my grandpa was Protestant. And my grandmother was uh, Catholic. And so there was like a lot of family battles with them. And so uh, it was very difficult for them to get married, which is a lot of the reasons why they moved to Philadelphia. And so the, the point there is when my family uh, came to Philly, Philadelphia is built around Quakerism. And so in our neighborhood, there was a lot of Quaker meeting houses. And so my grandmother would take me to meeting a couple of times, just trying to introduce me to some, some of these concepts of spirituality or whatever. And like, so I, I, it just never jived with me. Like I thought it was cool. I thought it was interesting. But my whole life, I basically spent wondering, like, what is this higher purpose that, that people keep talking about? And so I've always questioned it. And so when, when people would talk about faith, right, it just, it couldn't make sense to me because how the hell could you put faith in something that is so arguably non-existent? And I read and I think the world is fascinating and I love learning about physics and I love learning about like, a, like I'm a real quantum mechanics nerd and, and 
all of that kind of stuff is just so much easier to understand. And so how do you, how do you take this world, this life that is obviously a reality, right? Like it has to be real because things suffer and like you can understand that and you can find reality in that. But at the same time is there's like this other side of it where there's things going on that you can't quite explain that may not necessarily be reality, like purpose. Like you can say that purpose isn't a reality, but of course it is because you can feel it in your heart. And like, you know, when you don't have purpose because you can feel that suffering. Right. And ultimately like, I'm forgive me, I'm breaking down like a lot of these crazy ideas that I've gone through in the last 10 years of my life. And so, and so, uh, ultimately like one of the things that I've come to discover, at least for me, is that faith is basically believing in a future that isn't guaranteed. Like when you do something today to better yourself, you never see the results of that right now. You always see the results of it in the future. And like, you can't guarantee that. And so why on earth would you ever do something right now to make your life better in the future when you don't even know it's going to be here? I guess a simple way to visualize this is like, uh, if you're driving up a hill, like you have faith that when you get to the top of the hill, the world isn't just going to come to a cliff and you're going to fall off. Like there's going to be something on the other side of it. And so uh, that line that you gave me, and I, I can't quote it verbatim, but something around the lines of, of uh, not having a purpose until you have something to believe in. When I started living my life in faith, meaning I started doing things today that I wouldn't see a result of in the future, even though I couldn't have like a guarantee of the future. That was the exact opposite of living in fear. Whereas I'm doing things right now because I know for like my own certainty that I'm going to get some kind of positive result right now. And so it was really coming to battle with like the juxtaposition of those two things that made it so that I actually had the ability to look into the future and see like a vision that like I could be something and I could be happy and I could be content with my life because I had to have faith that the things I'm doing right now were going to pay off in the future, even though there was, there was no, not even guarantee, like there was absolutely zero, zero certainty that that would be true. And, and for me, like that really is that, uh, that internal battle that I guess is like innate in the human condition that causes people to do a lot of these like self-destructive things. Man, that, that <laughs> this is so epic because it, it ties together so many interesting parts of your idea. I mean, like, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the kid on the skateboard who's like not afraid to just like leap over the edge and go for it. Right. Which is kind of, which is a double-edged sword, right? It, it can be that impulsiveness um, can be destructive when applied to the wrong ends, but it can also that ability to just, just do it. You know, the, the Nike thing, um, in this context of faith, as you describe it, can be really, that sort of leads, leads into Tim, the entrepreneur, right? Because that's just like, just like the skateboarder who does gnarly tricks, not knowing if they're going to land them or not. That's sort of what the entrepreneur does, right? You have kind of a vision for some sort of good or service or um, just the way you want things to be. And you think you can sort of deliver that for people. Um, So I want to talk about that. Like what happens after you get that advice advice from Seth and you start blogging every day. Like, where does that go? How does that look? Like you just, what do you, what are you blogging about? Well, in the beginning I was, remember part of the advice was don't tell anybody about it. 
And so I, I had no expectations of anybody even reading it. In a lot of ways, I feel like even today I have a daily blog and a lot of a lot of times I find myself stopping because I'm thinking like, oh no, what's somebody gonna think? And uh I, I think what I think what Seth Godin was trying to say, I mean, I, I talk to him now, so I guess I can just say Seth, but I think what Seth was trying to say was that you have to write without the expectation of somebody reading it. And so in the beginning, I was just writing like, dude, anything, the weirdest (laughs) stuff. I mean, sometimes I would write like poems. Sometimes I just write about my day. Sometimes I write about like hanging out with my dog. Um, Talk about my journey in recovery mostly, which is more or less how the site started gaining some traction. And, and, you know, with entrepreneurship, like my father was a, um, uh, he was a luggage handler at the airport at the affiliate. So like those guys that throw the suitcases underneath, uh, the plane, right. He was one of those guys and worked there for 20 years and the airports in South Philly. And we lived like on the Northwest side of the city. And so he would drove, excuse me, he drove a lot every day and worked his ass off and like herniated discs from throwing suitcases. And then after nine 11, you know, what happened? He lost his job. And so around that same time, my mom, she was a, a nurse at this hospital in, in North Philly called MCP. And like, just at the same exact time, they tore down the hospital and I don't know what they did with it. Some kind of, uh, who knows, but my mom lost her job. And so me being an entrepreneur is, is a little bit embedded into me because I I had the decision right then and there where I was just like, there's no way, not no way, not know how that that's ever going to happen to me. Like I felt just as, um, I felt less comfortable taking paychecks from people than I felt even just like knocking on doors and being like, Hey, can I come give you an audit on like your kitchen or not an audit? Like, can I come look at your kitchen and like give you a free quote on what it would be to do some of the floor molding? Um, and so like, I already had these entrepreneurial tendencies in me because I had like a van, you know, and I I would do side jobs and and construction and I was always a kid cutting grass. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really easy to be an entrepreneur. I remember being a kid and all I did was I took a picture in front of my mom's rose bush and I just put a big cheesy smile. And then I went to the local pharmacy. It was called Perkel's. And I typed up a thing like I'll cut your grass for 40 bucks. And I just, hung up papers all over my neighborhood. I was cutting grass the whole summer. I made a ton of money. Um, And so like that whole story is to say that I've always been entrepreneurial, but it it, it was at that moment when I was writing and then all of a sudden I started to see people come into my website. And remember for the third time, I never told anybody about it, right? And so I'm thinking like, how the hell are people coming to my site? I'm not promoting this. I'm just doing it for myself. And that's when I discovered search engine optimization. And that's when I started really reading about it and like looking into the technicalities behind building an internet business as opposed to um, something which I was, I guess you would call it like a more traditional business, right? Like in in my mind, I figured that I could maybe open up a a store or maybe I was just going to start my own construction business in Florida or something like that. That's just where my mind went to. But once I, I started seeing somehow people come into my blog and then I started reading about putting ads on web pages and, and, you know, like 
I was I was in a real spiritual place in my life, and so I read The Secret, and uh, now people laugh at it. Uh, I think it is easy to laugh at that book, but I think there's definitely something to just positive thinking, right? And so in that book, I remember it was telling me to imagine every time I open my mailbox to envision a check as opposed to bills. So I was like, fuck it, whatever, like, what, I'll just do this. And so I, I did it. Um, and I never even knew that the ads that I was putting on my blog were... Uh, I, I mean, it was AdWords, but I just knew nothing about the structure of online business, right? And so all of a sudden, one day, I keep visualizing, I keep visualizing, I keep visualizing it. And then I open my mailbox and there's this damn check from Google for $27. <laughs> and I still haven't cashed it. It was from writing in my blog every day for like um, for like eight or nine months or something. And back then, now there's a threshold. You have to have at least $100 in your account. But back then, they would write you a check every month. So I got a check from Google for $27. And I'm thinking like, no way. I can't believe this actually worked. And uh, and so the the to, to wrap all that up, like I've always been pretty entrepreneurial, but it was when I started learning more about the the technicalities behind how like online businesses work and how they're manufactured and how you can like leverage them to uh, either run ads against it or in, in my case, eventually I, I used a much more, uh, in, in my view, like a much more lucrative approach, which is either selling a service against the attention that comes to your website or even selling like a product. It just went one step at a time. I mean, it, it really was one day at a time. I would try to improve a little bit every day. And, you know, before I knew it, our agency was doing like six grand a month. Right. And I'm thinking, holy shit, like I got three or four clients and like I'm making $500 in my pocket a week, which is the most that like I ever made. And, uh, and I, I, I was just fine with that. Right. I'm thinking I'm making a great living. I'm going to the movies on the weekends. Life is good. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, we're making 10 grand a week. And then it's like, wow, I think I got to hire an employee. And then it's like, got to figure out how to manage an employee. And then it's like, well, I think I got to get an actual invoicing software. And, uh, lo and behold, every day, day at a time, one sentence at a time, one blog post at a time, we've built like, I guess what I would consider like a real media enterprise to an extent. And uh, it's been a real journey and I'm, I'm really grateful for it. Yeah. Such a cool story. And, and, and not, ju- not just the, uh, you know, the agency too, but um, along the way there, your, your site recovery nation too, which is just a, another who really cool. So actually, if you don't mind, like, just in a nutshell, kind of tell us about Recovery Nation a little bit. Sure. Um, well, and uh, forgive me, don't mean to overly correct you. So the the parent company is called Recovery Local. So Recovery Local is a uh, um, it's more or less like a parent company that holds four different recovery based brands that we've created. Gotcha. So that that blog that I was working on. Um, more or less turned into a website called Sober Nation where we, I mean, I, right. it's so funny to talk about it because I never really had like a plan. It just would happen. And then I would observe and think to myself like, oh, like this is kind of cool. Let me try this idea. And then I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Let me try this idea. And like the reality is most of it has failed over and over again. But the one thing that I think I did on Supernation that was really unique is I never made it too much about me. You know, like once I made the decision to actually say like, this isn't just going to be like a personal blog anymore. I'm going to try to like make something of this. 
Uh, I had this idea, again, very Seth Godin-ish. It was when I read the book Tribes where I realized like, man, there's this whole tribe of people that are in recovery, that are supporting each other, that are um, like in it with each other and that create these little microcosms of community. So instead of actually trying to say like instead of trying to have an agenda, basically, I just kind of created this open platform for people to share their stories. And and that's what we did. And so we built like a, a pretty big brand around it. Um, and then and then we created an agency around it because Sober Nation was uh, obviously focused within the sobriety slash recovery type niche. And I learned as I was building a real audience, like I started to get approached by treatment centers and mental health facilities saying like, Hey, how did you build this brand? Right? Because addiction treatment isn't like the funnest thing to talk about online. It's, it's, it's kind of boring and it's very clinical. And I, I, I found this way to create a fun, engaging network that was potentially valuable to some of these healthcare entities that wanted to help people in their own recovery. And so that's, that's where we got the idea to build the agency around it. And and so since then, uh, you know, I'm not going to explain to you the whole corporate structure, right? But no, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, but Stasi, the agency, kind of acts as um, it's it, it serves two purposes. Like we do a great job, and and we certainly monetize through our clients, and that's great. Like we have a great reputation within the field, and I, I personally think that we're like the best in the world at it. But even more than that, it's built a team and. Uh, I've really only hired people in recovery. Uh, I've never looked at a single resume. It's always people that are like six months sober, young kids. Like, hey, man, just give me a chance. Like, I really want to do this. Um, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll come and I'll work hard every day. And, you know, you get burned sometimes because sometimes it doesn't always work out with people. But uh, for the most part, over the last six years, like we've built a family of people and we all came up together and we all got sober together. And, uh, and so like what Stadzi has also kind of turned into is like this weird independent asset within itself where it's like I have a, a, a media entity that we use to build out these other um, brands, so to speak, in addition to the media entity being an actual company. It's kind of the best way to explain it is uh, I had this guy, Johnny Nastro on my podcast and we had very similar backgrounds. He said his dad was in construction. And when his dad wasn't building a house, he was always, you know, quote, using his leftovers. Like he was saving his leftover materials and his leftover time to build other houses and to flip houses. And so like his business of working for clients was this weird fueling mechanism that allowed him to scale like his own uh, to to create ownership over like these assets, right? And so that's kind of been this weird model that we've stumbled into that's allowed us to do a lot more together than than we could have done on ourselves. Yeah, I think it's it's just so fascinating. I think how kind of coming out of this dark time and and trying to answer this in some ways like even harder question of like, okay, well, what the hell do I do now? You know, like where do we where do we go from here? That sort you, you kind of blogged your way into an answer to that. Right. And like you said, it was never something super top down and like you had some big master plan. Um, you just sort of followed your nose, uh, at the keyboard, so to speak, uh, into these various, uh, projects, which, which all 
provide kind of an immense, like valuable service to people, whether it's, um, you know, local kind of recovery and sobriety options for people or, or an agency to help, um, you know, kind of healthcare and, and mental health and addiction, um, uh, providers kind of get the message out there and God knows we need it in, <laughs> in mental health and healthcare. We're not the best, uh, marketers. Um, yeah, I just, uh, other thoughts, like I'm just so fascinated with this idea of the kind of entrepreneurism. And I, I love the way you talk about it too. Cause I think a lot of people hear the, the term entrepreneur and they think like, I don't know, Elon Musk or like Jeff Bezos or something, totally. you know, and like, which is just, I mean, that, that's a very cool version of entrepreneurism. Um, but I, I love your story because it, it just it shows this. There's this much more um, everyday version of it that's that's so powerful. And, and yeah, I don't know what what do you make of that that connection between, or, or do you even think there is a, a connection between kind of addiction and sobriety and that kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Um, yes, I do, and I'll give you a couple of examples of it. As you can tell, I. Every time I do a podcast, I'm always like, man, I'm talking really, really fast and I got to slow down and like, I just can't help it. My brain moves really quick, which is probably a reason why I have to like stop and write down so much of this shit all the time. <laughs> um, but so the point is I've thought about this because I've thought, how the hell can two kids, so me and my best friend, Brian started Sazi together, build, you know, like a seven figure plus agency without any business experience no HR team, you know, I've n- none of my people even went to college, I, I don't think, right? And like, so how is it that if all the people that we hire are newly in, in recovery, which statistically speaking, uh, I mean, let's just call it what it is. And in, in a lot of cases where you take chances on on people like this, not saying that anyone's a bad person, but you get stolen from, you get lied to like employees with drug problems come in late and they tell weird lies about like their grandma dying or something like that. Um, vast generalization, I understand, but it's happened in many, many workplaces always. So how is it that this worked? And I, I think that the answer is when your first, and, and I think this also has to do with the connection between like spirituality and entrepreneurship that I, I think you were trying to make. And the answer is when you're first like, when when you're done detoxing more or less and you got like six months or a year in recovery, the next natural stage in that is this this journey of like trying to figure out who you are, right? This journey of finding what you're connected to in, in the universe or with God or with other people or, or whatever it is that you feel is, is your higher power. And that's actually like a very painful journey because it forces you to que- to question everything that you believe in and like the act of looking directly into yourself and looking at like your inadequacies and looking at your faults um and and also looking at some of the things that like you feel good about you like those answers don't just come you have to search for them and so i i always consider spirituality as like an active process like you have to search in order to find what you're looking for, like a lot of people think if I just sit here and I meditate, we're like, just give it time. The answers will come like maybe, but I've not, I've personally never seen that happen. Like you have to fucking really search and go through painful processes to find the answers that you're looking for within yourself and within life and within like your future or whatever. And so I think it's that courage that uh, the the lucky few of us that actually make it that first year 
where you kind of get out of the woods, right? Where you avoid the relapses and and you're you're committed to living this this new way of life. Um, what like by nature to just get to that point has required you to look at yourself in a really honest and semi-critical way without completely beating yourself up. And that process is, um, it just lends itself very well to entrepreneurship because even the great entrepreneurs that, it, that we all love to glorify, like they don't actually know what they're doing. They're just experimenting and they're just like willing to fail in front of more and more and more people. And so that's all for me. Like that's all entrepreneurship has been for me. And that's all my recovery has been for me. It's kind of that same weird balance between, like I said, being self-critical and being self-confident where you say like, I'm confident in myself enough to make this choice. You know, whether that's a choice of, I'm not going to put myself in that bad position tonight, or whether that's a choice of like, yeah, I'm going to publish this article that might I might catch a little shit for, but I'm going to do it anyway, or I'm going to like knock on this person's door and, and, and try to make this sale, even though I think they're going to laugh at me. You know, like that, that exercise is the same in, in both of those circumstances. So um, I do think that being in recovery lends itself well to being an entrepreneur because the act of being in recovery is pushing through fear and living through and living in faith. And like entrepreneurship is exactly the same thing because the only way to be a good entrepreneur is to do things today without having a guarantee of the future, which, you know, kind of brings us back to that same concept. Yeah. I love how, and and that they're both kind of self-reinforcing, right? Like going through um, coming out of addiction and recovery can lend itself to entrepreneurism, but then being an entrepreneur also kind of uh, lends itself to continued recovery, right? That kind of like self-examination and and courage and faith and um, yeah, I think. But I and I I can't help but like kind of end where we started, which is with with Seth and um, just blogging, like your own little blog you don't tell anyone about. And I, I just I, I'm kind of in love with this idea of blogging as like an exercise in micro courage, you know, like you just sort of little bits, um, that kind of slowly start to build things up. I think that's an amazing way to phrase it. That, that definitely caught my ear, like an exercise in, in micro courage. That's, that's why Seth Godin has always spoken to me so much. And, uh, that's why I kind of always idolized him in a way. So Lynchpin was the book that really, really nailed it home for me. And uh, he gets a little bit more into like society with that. And I'm not trying to talk about, you know, like the industrial complex and how the internet culture is the exact opposite of that. But more or less, a linchpin is is somebody that you can't replace. And when you go out of your way to put creative work into the world, there can never be another person that can say the things that you can say in the way that you can say them. Like, it's, it's like a fingerprint and it's not necessarily going to be like the best work, but the act of being willing to put the best that you could do in that moment. And sometimes it's just the, the fact that it's good enough and like you publish it anyway. it, It really is courageous because it goes against our evolution. Like evolutionarily, our evolution wants us to be in the tribe. It wants us to stay in the pack. Like it wants us to be in the, the herd of zebras and make it difficult for us to be singled out. 
And so that's why doing this creative work is so terribly frightening for us because it's like, it is quite literally built into the, like the amygdala centers of our brain where everything that we do is telling us, no, 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 curl in a ball, stay in this pack of people, like wear the same exact clothes as everybody else, do the same exact thing as everybody else because being in the spotlight is where like a lion will get me or being excluded from the pack means that like I'm out of the safety of the cave and like I'm out and I'm out fending for the elements on my own. And so like our brains aren't used to living in this time where you have to actually do the exact opposite to get noticed. And it is a real, that's why when you said that, like a, a daily uh, micro, a daily dose of micro courage, like it truly, truly is that because hit and publish in front of people doesn't sound like a big achievement, but you're, every single day conquering the most innate primal uh, mechanisms, survival mechanisms in your brain that are telling you like, no, 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 no. Do not go out in there. Like do not go out in front of all of those people on your own. <laughs> that's like the worst possible <laughs> thing you can do. And so, uh, and so that's why I've, I've continued to build that habit in my life and why I think even till this day, it's it's one of the most important things that I can do. Tim, this is this has been awesome, such a pleasure, and and I really appreciate you being willing to kind of, I mean, chat, but also just share your your very personal story. I think it's so it's going to be so helpful whether people are um, listening for the addiction part or the entrepreneurial part or or even just the blogging part. Um, yeah, it's such an inspiring story. Listen, where um, where can people go to learn more about you and your work? The best place to, I have all of our brands listed on my personal site. Just go to timstods.com. That's where you can follow my blog if, if you want to. If, if you don't like it, you can tweet at me and tell me that I suck because that's kind of <laughs> what happens on Twitter anyway. And, and that's, that's Tim Stodds as well. So T-I-M-S-T-O-D-Z.com. And uh, anything you need, you can find me there.